Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Radiate with Rita podcast. I am your host, Rita Utterback, and today we're going to be talking about blood sugar. Blood sugar is honestly one of my favorite things to talk about because it is so important. It is literally one of the pillars of optimal health, and so many people are on the blood sugar roller coaster day in and day out. This happens for so many different reasons. Obviously, eating a very nutrient poor and high glycemic index diet can be a big contributor to blood sugar dysregulation, but so can things like skipping meals, not getting enough sleep at night, and having poor gut health. I know that blood sugar regulation is something that I talk to all of my clients about. I know they're probably so sick of me asking them about their meal timing, but that's simply because of the fact that these things matter. If you are somebody that cares about your health, you're a woman who is wanting to balance your hormones, have easier cycles, promote and support fertility, prevent insulin resistance and type two diabetes, then you're gonna wanna make sure you are taking the time to balance your blood sugar. I would also work to try and avoid or at least significantly reduce highly refined carb sources. And that's going to be your things like your white pasta, your white bread. You know, you can have your white rice, but just make sure that this is going to be balanced with either a complex carb source, like for example, black beans, or you're adding in a lot of protein and fat as well. But candy, sugar, these kinds of things can wreak havoc on your blood sugar. So if you are going to be eating desserts, really try to make sure that you're also pairing a little bit of protein alongside with it as well to help make this a little bit more blood sugar stabilizing, if that makes sense. So before I keep going, I want to kind of break it down and talk a little bit more about glucose and our blood sugar and what exactly happens when we eat. So like I mentioned, glucose is technically also known as blood sugar, and glucose is our body's primary energy source. Whenever we eat carbs like bread, fruit, juices, etc., our body breaks them down into glucose and then sends it into the bloodstream to be used for energy. A hormone called insulin then helps to get this blood sugar into the cells to be used for energy. In a perfect world, we would have a very minimal blood sugar spike after a meal, and our pancreas would only need to secrete a little bit of insulin to help bring our blood sugar levels down. However, if we have a huge blood sugar spike after a meal, then our pancreas will secrete a little bit more insulin to help bring these blood sugar levels down. And then sometimes this can then lead to low blood sugar, aka hypoglycemia, which can then bring on symptoms like fatigue after a meal. So if you've ever just feel like you're about to crash after eating a meal, there's a good chance that it could be because of the fact that you ate a really blood sugar spiking meal. If this becomes a chronic thing where you're on the blood sugar roller coaster, you're having these major glucose spikes after meals, and then your blood sugar is crashing because then your body's having to secrete a lot of insulin to bring those levels down, then that's what I mean when I say you're gonna be on the blood sugar roller coaster. That blood sugar is gonna be high and low and high and low, and this is actually very taxing on the body. Um, Blood sugar is very closely related to our stress hormones, cortisol. So, you know, cortisol can directly impact blood sugar and elevate levels, but high blood sugar levels um, and blood sugar dysregulation can also increase cortisol levels. But let's talk about your little pancreas here, because if your pancreas is just constantly having to secrete insulin all the time and more and more insulin to help bring these levels down, 
eventually your cells can become insulin resistant. And this is essentially when your body is not really responding well to the insulin and therefore your cells cannot use the glucose from your blood for energy. And this can actually lead the pancreas to secrete even higher amounts of insulin to get the job done. So if you struggle with insulin resistance, you may notice that you struggle with feeling hungry all the time, even if you are eating enough food. And that's simply because of the fact that your cells are unable to get that energy from your bloodstream into the cells in order to give you that fuel or to allow you to feel satiated. So why is this important for hormones and things like fertility? So like I just mentioned, poorly regulated blood sugar can have a major impact on your cortisol levels. If your blood sugar is all over the place, that can lead to chronically elevated cortisol levels. We do need cortisol. It is a super essential um, hormone. However, if you know it is constantly flowing through our bloodstream, we're constantly in fight or flight mode, that can kind of make it to where our body does not feel safe enough to allow ovulation to occur. We need to be ovulating in order to make things like progesterone, and progesterone plays a huge role in our ability to be able to conceive. So, you know, we really do want to make sure we are um, regulating our blood sugar levels. Another thing is elevated insulin can actually impair ovulation. So again, if you're on the blood sugar roller coaster all day, your insulin levels are really high, this can have an impact on your ability to conceive. Chronically elevated cortisol levels can also have a major impact on digestion. Just like I mentioned in my last podcast episode where I dived deep into all things gut health. So if you did not tune into that episode, be sure to check it out. In addition to impacting our digestion as a whole, blood sugar dysregulation can also have an impact on gastric emptying. So if you're somebody that struggles with acid reflux, you're really going to want to make sure you are working to especially stabilize those blood sugar levels. So some of the common habits that I see that really keep people on the blood sugar roller coaster Ooh, I'm about to call some people out, so buckle up, y'all, <laughs> are my girls who skip breakfast. Breakfast is literally the most important meal of the freaking day. How you eat is super important, and how you eat breakfast literally sets the tone for the rest of the day when it comes to your blood sugar. If you are somebody that is not eating your first meal of the day to like 12 or 1 p.m., do not be surprised if you're noticing that you feel super out of control of food and feel almost insatiable at the end of the day. And this is simply because your body's trying to tell you like, hey girl, I'm hungry, I need food. So I also kind of want to talk a little bit about this because so many people don't really understand the impact of fasting. There's so much information online about intermittent fasting and how it's super great for fat loss, X, Y, and Z, yada, yada, yada. And sure, for some populations, I think it can be super helpful. Obviously, like I don't really recommend it in my practice and a lot of the research in intermittent fasting was done in men and men have completely different bodies than women. Women do not respond the same to fasting that men do. Fasting can actually be a little bit more stressful for women. And if you are somebody that has period issues, you are struggling with fertility, then I would 100% not recommend trying to go with intermittent fasting. Um, but obviously that is something that you can discuss with your medical provider, but just in my experience, I've seen it do a little bit more harm than good, especially for those who are already struggling with some kind of hormone issue or a condition like endometriosis. But if we are skipping breakfast, 
Essentially what we're doing is intermittent fasting. So let's break it down. Did you know that a healthy liver can store approximately 100 to 120 grams of glycogen? Glycogen is what glucose gets converted into in order for your body to be able to store glucose um, in your liver and also your muscles. So it converts it over into glycogen, all right? Your liver can only store this amount of glycogen for about eight hours before your body has to tap into other means of fuel. And your body uses cortisol to do this. So say for example, you eat your last meal at 7 p.m., you go to bed at 10 p.m., you sleep until 6 a.m., you skip breakfast or you have coffee for breakfast. Ugh, I'll talk about that later. And then you don't eat until about 12 p.m. So after all that, you've essentially just fasted for 17 hours and your body literally at this point is running off of stress hormones for fuel. When this happens, your body can literally start to break down muscle tissue to get the fuel that it needs. This is also a super taxing process on the liver. Your liver has over 500 jobs and the last thing that it needs to be doing all day is creating fuel because you're not giving your body the fuel that it needs, right? It needs to be focusing on detoxing and all of its other jobs that it has. Another thing to keep in mind is that when you wake up in the morning, this is when your cortisol levels are the highest throughout the day because cortisol is our awakening hormone. So we need it to wake up. So if we are waking up or cortisol levels are the highest that they're gonna be throughout the day, and then instead of eating breakfast, we are drinking a big old cup of coffee. This is going to drive our cortisol levels even higher, which can drive your blood sugar higher, which can again, impact your blood sugar and keep you on that blood sugar roller coaster. So. One of my biggest suggestions is to eat your breakfast within an hour of waking. But I'm gonna come back to, I'm gonna circle back around and talk a little bit more about some tips to support your blood sugar here in just a bit. But I wanted to go over some of the other common trends that I see. Sometimes I'll see my clients go eight to 10 hours in between meals. A lot of my nurses bless their hearts. They're super busy. Sometimes they don't have the time to sit down and eat. And it can be very easy for them to go almost a whole shift without eating. This can definitely have an impact on blood sugar levels as well. So, you know, it's not just about making sure you're eating breakfast, but also about making sure that you're eating pretty consistently throughout the day. And then high stress and sleep, because both of these things are major contributors to high blood sugar. But these things often get overlooked because people are usually more concerned with diet whenever it comes to blood sugar and insulin resistance. That's like, you know, why when you go to the doctor and you have high blood sugar or they suspect you have insulin resistance, the first thing they recommend you do is cut your carbs. There's no like, hey, let's look at your stress. Let's look at your gut health. Let's look at, you know, how well you're sleeping at night, even though these things really, really, really do matter. If you're really wanting to work on supporting your blood sugar levels in order to have more optimal hormone health and gut health, some of the top things that I'm going to recommend you do, I've already mentioned, but I'm going to recap them. One, eat breakfast and preferably within an hour of waking. All right. If we wait too long to eat again, that can increase our fast, which can increase our cortisol levels. 
aim to eat every three to five hours. If you're going a lot longer than that, that can cause you to have some of those hypoglycemic type episodes where you might feel a little bit dizzy, feel a little bit jittery, you might feel a little bit hangry or a little bit anxious. So really working to try to snack pretty consistently and making sure all of your meals and snacks are balanced. And when I say balanced, I mean you wanna have a protein source, a fat source, and a healthy slash complex carb source. So lots of colorful fruits and veggies. Maybe we get some whole grains in there, something with fiber to make it more of a blood sugar stabilizing meal. But the key is, is to make sure that these meals and your snacks are balanced. Another good rule of thumb is to make sure you're aiming for at least 25 to 30 grams of protein a meal. I find that a lot of my clients respond really well to this. And I know I have personally, as I've struggled with insulin resistance and have tried a lot of these things on myself in addition to making these recommendations with my clients. Um, the biggest rule of thumb for blood sugar management is make sure you're getting in at least 100 grams a day. Ladies, if you're getting any less than this, you especially if you are somebody who strength trains, this can for sure have an impact on your blood sugar levels, okay? Some other things, like I mentioned, are sleep and stress. Just one poor night of sleep can have an impact on your blood sugar levels. So if you are somebody that struggles with insomnia, like chronically, this can for sure keep you on the blood sugar roller coaster day in and day out, even if you are eating a more relatively clean diet, okay? Stress is another big one as well. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, stress and blood sugar kind of have this relationship, right? Stress can increase blood sugar levels, but poorly regulated blood sugar levels can increase stress. So really working to, you know, make sure you're not training like an asshole, make sure you are eating consistently throughout the day, making sure you're not doing super low carb or low calorie restrictive diets. These diets can be, you know, really problematic for blood sugar in the long term. I know for some people in the short term, keto can be helpful. I am not somebody that's big on keto, but I have seen practitioners and some other coaches and people with PCOS do it that swear by it and help, and you know, they say it helps with their insulin resistance. But these diets are not meant to be done long term because they can actually lead to insulin resistance, right? You want your body to be able to respond to carbs. You don't want your body to have to constantly make glucose out of protein and fat in your tissues, your cells, y'all. Like this is not a healthy process for the body to be under for long periods of time. This you know, backup system was simply meant to be used in times of famine, all right? And we're not supposed to be in a famine 24 seven. And then I wanna talk about exercise because exercise plays a huge role in blood sugar management. And honestly, I see that so many people struggle with this, all right? When you are exercising, you are literally allowing your body to ship that glucose into your muscles to be able to be used for energy, to help facilitate movement and exercise, but it also helps to get that blood sugar out of your bloodstream, which is the goal, all right? Exercising really helps to promote insulin sensitivity. And I'm not saying that you have to go to the gym and lift 
like an asshole and lift super heavy and power lift, but just taking the time to, you know, get about 15 to 20 minutes of a walk-in after meals or getting in a lift um, right after a meal too, right? And obviously not right after a meal, give yourself some time to digest, but this really helps your body to utilize that glucose better. So in today's world, most of us are sitting at an office at a desk all day long. We're not really getting much movement. We're sitting inside all day long. And this is actually impacting and leading to insulin resistance. Because like I said earlier, it's not just about our diet. It's not just about what we're eating and how we're eating. There are so many other factors that play a role as well. Now, I know people that strength train that still struggle with blood sugar issues, and that's because of the fact that they're not getting in any movement outside of strength training, or they're not really prioritizing their diet. So you can't just do one thing and expect this to just like magically improve your blood sugar. You're going to have to work on a lot of these different things. And I know it can seem like a lot at once if you're not somebody that works out or you're not somebody that goes for walks pretty consistently, but with time, it can become a little bit more habitual and you will probably notice that you feel a little bit better and walking after meals can also help to stimulate digestion so if you're somebody that struggles with slow motility you have SIBO you struggle with constipation really focus on getting in some movement after your meals because that can not only help your blood sugar but also help your digestion as well gut health is the last thing that I want to talk about in terms of ways to improve your blood sugar gut health is super important because people can actually struggle with insulin resistance from having a lot of infections in their gut just simply because of the fact that your gut and your liver and everything in your body are all connected so sometimes that people have a lot of bacterial infections, a lot of things like parasites, sometimes toxicities can build up in the body. If you know, you're toxic in the sense that you're not regularly going to the bathroom and you're not able to excrete toxins appropriately, or you have parasites. And like I've talked about before, parasites feed off of toxins. This can actually increase the toxic burden in your body which means this can bog down your liver. And remember earlier when I said that your liver has over 500 jobs, if your liver is being constantly burdened by a super inflamed and infected gut, this can have a major impact on blood sugar levels too. So there are so many things that can impact blood sugar and insulin resistance. And that's why I think it's super important to look at the individual as a whole and not just throw metformin at everybody. I think drugs like metformin um, or, you know, some more natural medications like berberine or apple cider vinegar can be super helpful. This is not medical advice, just talking about medications and supplements that are commonly used. However, I think it's also important to look at what people are doing, how people are eating, because I don't know very many women or I don't work with very many women who come to me and they're already eating three full meals a day, eating within an hour of waking and eating balanced meals throughout the day. So I think that we need to be doing a little bit of a deeper dive into how we're eating, our sleep our stress levels, our gut health, because these things also play a role, right? Not just how many carbs we're eating. So whenever my clients come to me suspecting that they might have a little bit of blood sugar dysregulation or some insulin resistance, I will take a look at their diet and lifestyle habits, and then I'll also take a look at their symptoms. So I just mentioned a couple symptoms a little while ago, but some other ones include things like having headaches, frequently going to the bathroom, AKA you're frequently urinating, being tired, especially tired after meals, having a lot of fat storage in your midsection, having uncontrollable sugar cravings, 
feeling hungry all the time, no matter what you're eating, palpitations, excessive thirst, difficulty focusing, and thickening or darkening of the skin. I'll have them go to their doctor and get some labs drawn to identify if clinically they are insulin resistant. I do want to note that just because somebody's labs do not indicate insulin resistance or blood sugar dysregulation does not mean that they're not struggling with their blood sugar. The labs that I would have my client get drawn include a hemoglobin A1C, a fasting glucose, a fasting insulin, and a lipid panel. Sure, in the moment, a fasting glucose could be high for so many different things, but realistically, you really want your fasting glucose to ideally be 90 or below every single day. If you're somebody that has a continuous glucose monitor and you're noticing that you're waking up and your blood sugar is like over 100 every single day, then you could probably benefit from some blood sugar support. In conjunction with their medical provider, I'm able to help support them in terms of their nutrition and their lifestyle. We're looking at how they're eating, what they're eating, assessing things like stress, digestion, like I mentioned earlier, and then helping them come up with a plan to work on improving these areas. Sure, all the tips that I mentioned in this podcast episode are obviously meant for educational purposes and can be used by the general population, but everyone's going to need something a little bit different. You can reverse insulin resistance just through diet and lifestyle changes, but sometimes people need medications as well. And this is where working with a medical provider or a functional practitioner can come in handy here to help you monitor your blood sugar through using more medicinal methods in addition to the diet and lifestyle changes. So like I've mentioned throughout this entire podcast, your blood sugar is really important and can be a huge driver for hormone imbalances, gut issues, conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, and even chronic inflammation within the body that can lead to things like cardiovascular disease, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, and more. If you want to have balanced hormones, you want to have clear skin, you want to just overall feel better and have more energy throughout the day then this starts with balancing your blood sugar levels. As somebody who's struggled with insulin resistance, working to stabilize my blood sugar levels has literally improved my quality of life so freaking much. I have much more energy, my skin is better, it's still a work in progress because I'm still working through some gut issues, but overall this has made a huge impact on my cycle quality and my endometriosis symptoms. I don't have very many endometriosis flares anymore and my cycles are pretty breezy in addition to my PMS symptoms. I don't really have very many cravings at all and not that there's anything wrong with cravings. Cravings are normal, but if they are intense and you just can't stop craving sweets and sugar, then it's definitely time to look a little bit deeper. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month and the next couple podcast episodes are going to be a little bit more centered around endometriosis. However, I am going to be bringing in a couple guest speakers and what we're going to be talking about is going to be relatable to other women that don't have endometriosis as well. So be sure to tune in and I will see you guys next week. If you are enjoying this podcast, then please share it with your friends, family, or anyone that you think might benefit from these episodes. You can also leave a review and let other listeners know how this podcast has helped you. 